the secret stronghold in the northern region of the Bechtodagen Mountains had taken seventeen years to excavate. From the outside there was no evidence of the extensive tunnel system in which seven thousand five hundred members of the people's army were stationed at any one time. The largest terraces and balconies were built in the style of old temples, with sagging tiled roofs, artificially distressed to appear ancient and neglected, while others were simply cut horizontally into the slope and disguised with camouflage. The two helipads and missile silos were similarly obscured. The single road, which zigzagged up to the main but discreet entrance, was constantly monitored by sniper outposts. Beneath the pagoda-like roof that sheltered one of the terraces, Maggie rested her elbows on the low wall and pulled the fur-lined collar of the greatcoat round her chin. The biting December air was sharp in the fifteen-year-old's nostrils, and she buried them in her mittened hands. She couldn't remember ever being warm, and, to make it worse, there was no hot water in the showers. The primitive plumbing had broken down again. The usually breathtaking view was hidden today. Beyond the wall, the grey slopes of the mountain dropped steeply into a thick white mist that filled the valley, blotting out the dark forests and surrounding snowy peaks. It was like staring into a universe of nothing, an endless blank canvas waiting for the first mark or stroke of colour to be applied. It was almost hypnotic, and Maggie's mind drifted. She thought back to that July night when they escaped from the prison camp in England, how she and the other aberrant children had crowded into a military helicopter with no idea where they were being taken. Through the darkness they were flown across the channel to a private airstrip in France, where a jet was waiting to whisk them on across the world. At the time it felt so unreal, like an adventure happening to someone else. They didn't question anything. The elation of having got out of that horrendous place alive, combined with the food provided on the journey, drove all other thoughts out of their heads. They didn't care where they were going. They were finally safe from the Punchinello bullets and starvation. Each new day would no longer be a hopeless struggle for survival. Even when they touched down and sleepily discovered just where this sanctuary was, it didn't really register. North Korea, or the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, as they swiftly learned to call it, had shown them its most benign and welcome face. The children of the camp had been fated as honoured guests, and for the first week enjoyed the best that this secretive and isolated corner of the world could offer. After the privations and sadistic treatment they had suffered back home, it was like a surreal holiday. They were given grand tours of the capital city, Pyongyang, and the surrounding provinces. They were bussed to old Buddhist temples, imposing monuments and battle sites, and attended a banquet at which the supreme leader, Kim Jong-un, was present. Surrounded by an austere array of generals and grand marshals, they were even ushered into the palatial mausoleum, where the embalmed corpses of Kim Jong-un's revered father and grandfather were ceremoniously displayed in glass cases.
Maggie and the other refugees filed past them in disbelief. What sort of a country was this? A girl called Esther threw up on the steps afterwards. A crew from the Korean Central Television, the only news broadcaster, followed them everywhere. Just three channels were available to the people of Pyongyang, and the rest of the country made do with one. There was no satellite TV or internet for ordinary citizens. Such things were forbidden. Every TV set was configured to receive only these official channels, and regular checks were made to ensure they were not tampered with. The rescued children became instant celebrities. They were interviewed together in small groups of three or four and individually.